Amen. Are you thankful for the love of God? I surrender to Him. Amen. If you have your Bible, I want you to stand and turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 19. 2 Kings chapter 19. I'm going to begin reading at verse 14. The scripture says, And Hezekiah received the letter of the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, God of Israel, which dwellest between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. Lord, bow down thine ear and hear. Open, Lord, thine eye and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib, which hath sent him to reproach the living God. I want to preach a few moments from this subject, a letter from the devil. A letter from the devil. Would you pray with me, Lord Jesus? I love you. I thank you for your anointing. I thank you for the power of your presence. And Lord, as we come together in this house on a Sunday night, I'm asking God that you would meet us in this place, Lord, that you would touch, that you would move, that you would do what only you can do, Lord. And we give you all the glory and the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name, would you say amen? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Anytime you start to do something good for the Lord, Anytime you make a commitment to a fresh uh, walk with God or renew your passion for living for God or or restore your altar and places a dedication in your life, anytime that you make a turn towards the things of God, the devil will rear up his ugly head and try to discourage you. Tonight I want to tell you a story, a story about a man named Hezekiah who was doing exactly what I said. He was trying to make a fresh start. He was turning not just himself and not just his household, but an entire nation towards God. Uh, He was making a difference uh, in his generation. Uh, But the devil wasn't pleased with that. Uh, and, And ultimately, he sent Hezekiah a letter. Now, I know that our text said the letter was signed by an Assyrian warlord named Sennacherib, but make no mistake about it this evening. It was a letter that was sent directly from hell. Sennacherib, the translation of the name, means a man of sin. And in this story, he's a type of Satan, the god of this world. He, he represents the enemy of your soul who is determined to strike fear in the hearts of, of the people of God to keep you from becoming the people that God has declared you to be. Amen? The scripture said the intent of the letter was to reproach the living God. Sennacherib intended to instill fear in the people of God and to call the very power of God into question. Let me set the stage. It was sometime after the year 700 BC and for over 200, nearly 300 years, David's kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, had been divided and fractured into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, which was comprised of the ten northern tribes of Israel, and the southern kingdom, uh, which was comprised of the two southern tribes of Israel. So you have a northern kingdom uh, and you have a southern kingdom, but that's not the only difference between them. The northern kingdom, Israel, was by this time, time completely backslidden. They had completely lost out with God. It was a sin-saturated nation. It was a a nation full of compromise. It was a nation where lust and adultery and sheer pleasure-seeking ruled the day. They had completely forsaken God, that great nation of Israel. That nation that David had ruled over was only a hollow shadow of her former self. She had abandoned God and she was reaping the results of that tragic decision. And it was terrible what was happening in the nation of Israel. But on the southern border, that southern kingdom of Judah 
was at the time of this story experiencing a revival of sorts. Hezekiah came to the throne of Judah at a critical time in Judah's history. Judah was militarily weakened from wars and raids by surrounding nations during the reign of Ahaz. And the prophets Amos and Hosea were preaching to the northern kingdom that judgment of God uh, was coming. And if they didn't turn their hearts back to God, if they didn't repent of their, forsa- of their way of forsaking God, if they didn't come and seek the face of the Lord, the judgment was surely going to follow. Perhaps it was those circumstances that conspired together to cause Hezekiah to look to heaven for help. The first thing that Hezekiah did when he became ruler of Israel or of Judah was to restore the temple that had fallen into disarray. The Bible said he opened the temple doors and he repaired them. And then he brought the Levites together and he ordered them to sanctify themselves uh, and sanctify the temple uh, and to reinstate the religious ceremonies that had for so long been neglected. And Hezekiah, he brought sacrifices to the house of God uh, and he restored the priestly service in the temple. Then Hezekiah sent invitations throughout all of Judah and Israel, declaring that he was going to renew the Passover celebration in Jerusalem. This was a time when the people of God had fallen into such a state of apostasy that there was no Passover celebration anymore. But Hezekiah said, come, come to Jerusalem. Come to the temple of God. We're going to do again what we've been told to do before. We're going to turn our hearts back to God. We're going to seek the presence of God. We're going to seek the blessings of God. And And they came and they said, well, Hezekiah, we can't get the temple ready in time. Uh, He said, that's all right. We'll do the Passover a month later. It's okay uh, because we're going to do the Passover one way or another. We're going to celebrate the goodness of God. The nation was turning back towards God. They were, things were looking up. God was doing a new thing in the land, but Even as that was happening, the bulk of Israel ignored Hezekiah's invitation. The bulk of Israel followed after the things of this world and didn't return to the worship of God. But the little nation of Judah celebrated the Passover that year. They came together and they offered sacrifices to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And they declared themselves to be his people. And then they began to purge their land. They began to go throughout the fields and the mountains and the hills and the woods and the valleys. uh, And they began to wipe out the false religions uh, that had crept in. The Bible said they destroyed the high places. uh, They tore down the altars. uh, They broke the pillars. uh, They cut down the sacred trees uh, of idolatry worship. Uh, Throughout all of Judah and Benjamin, uh, they did these things. And then their fervor carried them beyond the borders of Judah. uh, And they swept up into Ephraim and Manasseh and there was a revival in the land and those things that had risen up that were taking the people of God away from the presence of God those things were destroyed the Bible said that Hezekiah even went so far as to smash the bronze serpent that Moses had made for deliverance in the wilderness because to the people it had become an object of worship. Uh, Amen. God never made that serpent uh, to be worshipped. He was the only one that was supposed to be worshipped. So Hezekiah, he destroyed it. Uh, He smashed it. Uh, He broke it up. Uh, Amen. He wanted it known. Uh, We worship God uh, and Him only do we worship. Uh, There is no God beside our God. Uh, There is no God that compares to our God. We will not serve any other. We worship God. Because of his sweeping reforms, later generations would say of Hezekiah in 2 Kings chapter 18 and verse 5, he trusted in the Lord God of Israel. 
so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah nor any that were before him. There was never a king like Hezekiah and there would never be another king like Hezekiah for he claved to the Lord uh, and departed not from following him uh, but kept his commandments uh, which the Lord commanded Moses uh, and the Lord was with him uh, and he prospered uh, whithersoever he went forth uh, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria and served him not. Here's the thing. The enemy was upset about the revival that was taking place in Judah. The enemy was upset about the things that Hezekiah was doing. That's what happens uh, when you set out to do a new thing. That's what happens when you set out to restore your walk with God. When you make a fresh commitment. When you make a fresh promise. Uh, when you turn your heart again uh, to the heavens and tell the Lord, Lord, I want to serve you. I want to restore some things. Uh, I want to renew some things. Uh, I want to get back to doing the things I know that I ought to do. When you rebel against the man of sin. When you rebel against the flesh that tries to rule you, when you determine we won't serve you any longer, uh, we're not going to be subject to you anymore. Uh, we're not going to bend our knees to you uh, anymore. Oh, flesh, you've got to wake up and realize uh, you've had your day, uh, you've had your time, uh, but now I am a servant uh, of the Lord. Uh, I have surrendered to him. Uh, I was crucified with Jesus Christ, uh, and now he lives within me. Here's the thing. The enemy wasn't happy about that. He was upset about what was happening. When you rebel against the, 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 the sin and the flesh that has ruled over you, the enemy rises up against you and comes in like a flood. Hezekiah was trying to be a godly man. Hezekiah was trying to do the right thing. He was trying to make positive change in his life. That's why the man of sin was out to destroy him. That's why the man of sin was upset with him. The very same reason that he attacked Hezekiah is why I can stand and be certain in this pulpit tonight uh, that Satan's going to attack you, that the enemy's going to rise up against you. We start at a time and a season of dedication, a season of, of sacrifice. I've challenged you to, to daily prayer, to daily Bible reading, to regular fasting, to a season of a, a three-day fast sometime in this four-week period. Uh, and as you turn your heart towards heaven uh, and as you make fresh commitments to him uh, and as you're restored in the presence of God, mark my word, your enemy is going to rise up against you. Up to this time, Judah had been a servant nation to Assyria and had been paying tribute to Sennacherib to keep him from coming in and destroying them. And that's exactly the way Sennacherib wanted to keep it. As long as the people of God were willing to pay tribute to their enemy, as long as they were willing to coexist with him, as long as they were willing to yield to him, uh, they existed unmolested. Uh, there wasn't any war. There wasn't any trouble. Uh, there wasn't any problems. Uh, there were no enemies camped outside of their gates. There were no armies that rose up against them. As long as they placated hell, as long as they were comfortable with the things of the world, as long as they were satisfied in their lukewarm, backslidden state, they had no opposition. There was no problem. There was no enemy rising up to destroy them. As long as they were backslidden in their heart, the enemy left them alone. But just as soon as Hezekiah stepped out in faith towards God, uh, just as soon as he decided, uh, we're not going to appease the devil anymore. I'm not going to coexist uh, with the devil anymore. I, I forget the truths I made with hell. Uh, amen. This day, uh, everything changes. Uh, this day, I'm turning my heart back to heaven. Uh, this day, I'm making up my mind. Uh, no more compromise. Uh, no more serving the things of this world. No more halfway discipleship. No more appeasing the devil. No more worldly living. Regardless of what it costs me, I'm going to make a stand for the Lord. That's when the enemy showed up. 
That's when they begin to fight him at every turn. The moment you give up on the world, the moment you turn your back on your flesh, the moment you commit yourself to a fresh walk with God, that's the moment uh, that all of hell is going to rise up against you. You'll become a target of the devil. You'll become a, a, a city under siege, if you will. The man of sin will rise up uh, and try to destroy you. Mark my words, you'll be tested. Uh, you'll be tried to see if you really will trust God uh, in all things. Uh, the enemy is going to rise up uh, and try to determine uh, if he can shake you in your faith. Uh, if he can cause you to waver in your commitment, you'll raise your hand and say, yes, pastor, I'll pray. And yes, pastor, I'll fast. Uh, but every day there's going to be a, a ready excuse. Uh, every day there's going to be a ready opportunity. This isn't a good day for me. Uh, this isn't a good day for me. This isn't a good opportunity for me. And when, uh, if you're not careful, uh, you'll find yourself in the place where the enemy has robbed you of the very devotion and dedication that you committed yourself to he's going to try your faith he's going to try your commitment everywhere you look you're going to see the enemy arrayed against you the devil will parade his armies around the walls of your city amen you'll feel like a prisoner if you're not careful uh, the first trick that the man of sin does uh, is to question your commitment uh, to fully trust the lord uh, and in order to accomplish that Sennacherib sent an ambassador his name was Rabshakeh well, I don't know where they get these names Sennacherib and now Rabshakeh he was a tree shaker amen and Rabshakeh came to mock those who were trying to do right 2nd Kings chapter 18 verse 19 says and Rabshakeh said unto them speak ye now to Hezekiah thus saith the great king of Assyria what confidence is this wherein thou trustest Thou sayest, but they, thou sayest, but they are but vain words. I have counsel and strength for war. Now on whom dost thou trust that thou rebellest against me? That's the way the devil works. The moment you make a new commitment to the Lord. The moment that you make a fresh turn towards the things of God, he starts trying to undermine your resolve. Uh, he starts trying to destroy your faith. He'll come and tell you, amen, that, that wh what have you put your faith in? Uh, what is it that has stirred you? Just an old preacher behind the pulpit, uh, just singing a, a new, uh, it's the same song, uh, just a different verse. Uh, it's just a new year. Uh, they always come up at a new year, uh, and they always call for fresh dedication, and they, they always always call for a fresh renewal. Uh, you've seen this before. Uh, what is it that you placed your confidence in? Uh, you tried before and you failed. Uh, so many times you made the same commitment uh, and you've never kept it. And he tries to undermine your faith. Uh, he tries to undermine the fervency of commitments that gripped your heart. Uh, he'll come and tell you uh, that God can't rescue you from this mess. Uh, you made this mess yourself. Uh, you got here by your own hand uh, and God can't deliver you out of this uh, he'll laugh at you uh, and he'll mock you the name Rabshakeh means drunken envoy and I can just imagine the way that he leered and jeered at the righteous people of Judah and said see those armies that are coming to your gates. See the war that's about to descend upon you. In what have you placed your faith? This God that you can't see? This, this religion that was handed to you by your fathers? In what have you placed your faith? Uh, look at the opposition that's come against you. Look at the enemies that have arisen uh, against you. Uh, amen. In what have you put your faith? He even went so far as to say that the Lord was to blame for their problems. In 2 Kings chapter 18 and verse 25, he said, I now come up without the Lord against this place to destroy it. The Lord said to me, the Lord, God, said to me, go up against this land 
and destroy it. That drunken fool uh, was trying to turn their faith uh, and their confidence away from God. He told them, God sent me to destroy you. God sent me to break up what you're doing. Uh, God sent me to distract you along the way. Uh, that's exactly the way the devil works. Uh, he tries to make you believe uh, that God has forsaken you. Uh, he tries to make you believe uh, that all of your problems uh, are the result of, of God's punishment for your past sins. Uh, he tries to cripple you and tell you you're nothing but a loser. Uh, you're nothing but a reject. Uh, you're nothing but a failure. And you'll never rise above what you've always been. Uh, but I come to tell you in the grace uh, of God, uh, what you've always been uh, isn't what you'll always be. Uh, but by the power of God, uh, if you make a right turn, uh, if you turn your heart towards him, uh, if you commit yourself to him, uh, things don't have to be like they always have been. Don't listen to that old liar. Don't listen to that slew-footed beast. There's no way that God is the one trying to derail you. There's no way that God is the one trying to turn you aside. Uh, amen. There's no way that God has turned his back on you and said, well, you failed too many times. Uh, I'm not going to honor your commitment now. Uh, the devil is a liar and the father of it, uh, and the truth is not in him. He's just trying to destroy your faith in God. Try to worm his way into your conscience and get you to question the commitment. He understands it doesn't take a whole lot. It, doubt is a powerful thing. It doesn't take a whole lot if somehow he can just worm his way into your thought process. And somehow he can rob you of that seed of inspiration that the Holy Ghost planted into your heart and your life. And somehow he can rob you of that, that commitment. He knows, listen, if he can keep you away from your altar, he can keep you bound to your flesh. If he can keep you away from those days of fasting, he can keep you where you've always been. Uh, and make no mistake about it, he's pleased with that. Uh, he'd like to keep you right where you are. He'd like to keep you right in the condition you're in. He'd like to keep you right in a lukewarm, half-backslidden state. Uh, that's exactly where he wants you. Rabshakeh changed his approach after that. He turned and he tried to focus their attention on the other cities and nations around them that had fallen. He, he pulled out his map of the region and he pointed at the other kingdoms that had already fallen against the king of Assyria. And he pointed out the other regions and other cities that had been destroyed. You see, if, if you make up your mind that you're going to resist that, that voice of doubt, the next thing he'll do is begin to tell you about other people who've already failed God. He'll begin to, well, look, so-and-so, he messed up. And brother, sister, so-and-so, they were, they were doing a lot. They were living for God. And they've fallen and they failed. And if they can't make it, neither can you. And he began to tell them, those other nations, uh, their gods didn't save them. Those other nations, uh, they worshiped their gods, but their gods were powerless against the king of Assyria. And 2 Kings chapter 18 and verse 33, he said, Hath any of the gods of the nations delivered at all his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? He said, you know, he'll wave that, I hate it. I hate it when the precious saint of God loses out with God. Not just because somebody loses their soul, but because it has such a broad impact across the people of God. And those that have looked up to that individual and those that have, have, have seen the, the grace of God at work in their life, something about that shakes your faith a little bit. And the devil knows that. So he'll accentuate it every time he can. You know, a preacher does good and nobody ever hears about it. But a preacher messes up and the whole world knows about it. Uh, that's Rabishak. Uh, he's got his little map and he's saying, look, uh, amen, he didn't make it. Uh, and she didn't make it. Uh, and that one's not living for God anymore. And that one's stumbled and messed up. Uh, and if they can't do it, you can't do it. Well, I come to tell you he's a liar. And the father of it. Another one of his tricks is to 
paint a picture uh, of, the, of the life that you could have uh, if you just go back to the way things used to be. If you just back off of your commitment. If you just back off of your dedication. Uh, amen. D- how much easier things would be if your enemy wasn't fighting against you. This is the one that so many people fall for. He'll wag something before your eyes and say, look what I can do for you. Look what I can give you. If you abandon God's plan for your life, if you abandon God's purpose and God's direction, if you abandon the thing that you feel tugging on your heart, maybe it's a boyfriend, maybe it's a girlfriend, maybe it's, a, it, it's some newfound popularity at school, maybe it's some new position at work, maybe it's some opportunity to, to make more money at the expense of your spiritual life. I don't know what it is, but he'll find the thing that appeals to your heart. He'll find the thing that appeals to your fleshly pride and the fleshly man uh, and he'll wag that thing in front of you and say look wouldn't life be so much better if you just let up Uh, wouldn't life be so much better if you just back down Uh, wouldn't life be so much better if you just gave in he said in 2nd Kings chapter 18 verse 31 he told the people of Israel hearken not to Hezekiah for thus saith the king of Assyria Make an agreement with me by a present and come out to me. And then eat ye every man of his own vine and every one of his own fig tree and drink ye every one of the waters of his own cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own land. A land of corn and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive oil and honey, that ye may live and not die. Hearken not unto Hezekiah when he persuadeth you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Rabbishak told them the captivity wouldn't be all that bad. The devil's just going to take you off to a land that's just like your land. Uh, a little compromise here won't hurt you. Uh, a little compromise here won't have any real effect on you. After all, uh, life is just as good uh, or even better over there uh, outside of the grace of God, uh, outside of the house of God uh, than it is in the church. And he'll promise you that everything is better on the other side. He'll promise you that all your hopes and dreams can be fulfilled uh, on the other side. Uh, He'll promise you that you can have anything that you long for. He'll even go so far as to try to persuade you that you can compromise with him and still serve God. He'll even go so far as to try to persuade you you can keep your religion. You can keep all the trappings of, of your religion. Just make a few compromises here and there. Just let a little sin never hurt anybody. Just let a little sin into your life. Just let a little pride get into your heart. Just let a little arrogance settle in there. Just let a little bitterness take root there. It won't do you any great harm. You can keep being Christian. You can keep going to church. You can keep paying your tithes. You can keep praying on Sunday. You can keep being a part of all that stuff. I'll take you, take you to land that's just like your land. I come to tell somebody in this place the same message that Hezekiah had for the people of God. Don't listen to that liar. The Lord will deliver you. The Lord's going to take care of you. The Lord's going to provide for you. God won't play second fiddle in your life. God's not going to take second place in your life. A little compromise will cost you a whole lot. There's no way to measure the dramatic impact of even just a little truce with hell. When all of that failed, Rabbishak turned to his master without accomplishing his mission. He went back home to the king of Assyria. And that brings us to our text. Sennacherib, seeing that his ambassador had failed, sat down and he wrote a letter, a threatening letter to Hezekiah. That's where I feel like some people in this house this evening are. 
There's some under the sound of my voice that have received a letter from hell. Maybe it was a report from the doctor. Maybe it was a letter from a lawyer. Maybe it was an x-ray or a bank statement or a pink slip at work. Maybe it was just a, some kind of doubt and fear that the enemy planted in your life. Maybe it was worry about sickness. Maybe it was the, 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 the trouble of a family member. I don't know what it is. But it was specifically designed by hell to undermine your faith and to cause you to question your calling. It's a very real threat from hell. Somebody in the sound of my voice knows what I'm talking about. You know what it is to feel like your whole world is shaking. You know what it is to feel like the enemy has come up against you and you don't know where to turn and you don't know what to do. What do you do with a letter from hell? Let me tell you what Hezekiah did. In 2 Kings chapter 19, we read it for our text. It says, Hezekiah received the letter of the hand of the messengers, and he read it. And once he had read it, Hezekiah took it with him, and he went to the house of God. And he spread that letter out in the presence of God. And Hezekiah began to pray. And he began to say to the Lord, O Lord God of Israel, which sit, which dwelleth between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. Thou hast made the heavens and the earth. And Lord, I ask you right now to bow down your ears and here I ask you Lord to open your eyes and see the letter that hell has sent me let me tell you what you need to do with the enemy's threats you need to take them to the presence of God. You need to take them before the Lord. We talked about the power of prayer this morning. Hezekiah understood that a letter threatening you is a letter threatening your God because you're the apple of his eye. You are his children. Hezekiah understood, O king of Assyria, you made a mistake because when you wrote a letter against me, when you began to threaten me, you didn't understand I don't fight my battles on my own. I'm not alone in the struggle, but I've got a God who stands with me. I've got a God who fights for me. He is the Lord who sits between the cherubims. He is the God, the creator of heaven and earth. When Hezekiah took that letter to the house of the Lord, he took it to the right place. And when he began to spread that letter out in the presence of God, and he began to pray, he wasn't telling the Lord anything that the Lord didn't already know. The Lord knew what Sennacherib put in that letter. The Lord was aware of the threats that were being made. But what Hezekiah was doing was saying, Lord, I understand this isn't my problem alone. This doesn't just belong to me. To too often we try to solve it on our own. Too often we try to work it all out by ourselves. Uh, amen. That's what the devil wants you to do. He wants you to think you stand alone. Uh, he wants you to think you're by yourself. Uh, he wants you to think you fight alone. Uh, but you need to take his words uh, into the house of God. And you need to lay them before the presence of God. And you need to make a declaration. I understand. Uh, I'm not in this thing by myself. I don't stand alone. Amen. If it's my problem, it's God's problem. He is saying, God, I understand this letter is against you as much as it's against me. Somebody under the sound of my voice, you need to realize who you are. You need to realize you're the apple of his eye. He's watching over you. He cares about you. He cares about your life. He cares what's happening to you. No matter what the enemy does, no matter how many letters he sends, no matter how many demons may invade, no matter how the kingdom of darkness may threaten you or your family or your church, mark my word, uh, this is his church. Uh, this is his bride. Uh, we belong to him, uh, and he's going to take care of that which is his. 
Let it settle down into your heart. Somebody needs to get it deep on the inside. Uh, somebody it needs to get down inside and break off in your heart. Uh, you need to realize, uh, amen, my problem uh, is God's problem. Uh, if I just take it before the Lord, uh, if I just lay it in his presence, uh, if I just spread it out before the Lord, uh, amen, it belongs to him. And God's going to take care of his own. Listen, it only takes one angel to destroy an entire army of demons. It only takes one word from God to decimate your enemy. Hezekiah went to the house of the Lord. He laid out that letter in the presence of the Lord, and he prayed to God. And the scripture said that in response to that prayer, God sent a prophet, Isaiah, and Isaiah came to Hezekiah and he spoke a word of prophecy to Hezekiah and Sennacherib. The prophecy began by acknowledging that God heard you when you prayed in his house. And then it continued like this in part. Second Kings chapter 19. I'm going to read a spattering of verses throughout the prophecy just simply to, uh, for the sake of brevity. But this is what Isaiah said. In, in 2 Kings chapter 19 and verse 21, it says, This is the word that the Lord hath spoken concerning uh, him, and him being Sennacherib. Uh, verse 22 said, Whom hast thou reproached uh, and blasphemed? This is God speaking to your enemy. He said, Who do you think you've reproached? Uh, who do you think you've blasphemed? Uh, against whom have you exalted your voice uh, and lifted up your eye on high? Uh, even against the Holy One of Israel. You remember how the enemy came and he said, who'd you put your faith in? Uh, who'd you put your trust in? Uh, who's going to take care of you now? The Lord said to him, uh, who have you spoken against? Who have you lifted your voice against? But I know thy abode, verse 27, and thy going out and thy coming in, and thy rage against me. And because thy rage against me, and thy tumult has come up to my ears, because the man of God has stood in the house of God and has laid your letter in my presence, I want you to know, he said, I'm going to put my hook in your nose. I'm going to put my bridle in your lips. And I'm going to take you wherever I want to take you. Uh, and there's nothing you can do about it. Verse 31 says, For out of Jerusalem shall go forth a remnant, uh, and they that escape out of the Mount of Zion, uh, the zeal of the Lord of hosts shall do this. Uh, God said, I'm going to take care of my people. Uh, amen. I'm going to lead you where I want to lead you. Devil, your fate's coming. Uh, enemy, uh, your end has already been determined. Uh, the Lord that you speak against, uh, the Lord of the people that you come against, uh, he's already determined the end of your days. This is what the prophet said. Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow into this city, nor come before it with a shield, nor cast up a bank against it. By the way that he came, by the same way he's going to return and shall not come into this city. Somebody needs to realize who you are. This is the city of the Lord. This is his house. This is his people. And your enemies not going to enter into this city. The Lord said, I will defend this city uh, to save it uh, for mine own sake uh, and for my servant David's sake. So God sent the prophet Isaiah and sent a response to Sennacherib. But here's the difference between Sennacherib's letter and God's response. All Sennacherib could do was write a letter. But what God said he was going to do, he did. The very next verse says, And it came to pass 
that night. Everybody say, that night. That night, the day that Hezekiah stood in the presence of God and said, I've had all I can stand. This is my enemy. This is what he said. This is what he's doing. And God, I lay it in your presence. The Bible said that night, the angel of the Lord went out uh, and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a uh, hundred, four score, and five thousand. That's one hundred and eighty-five thousand enemy soldiers. Uh, the end of the angel went into that camp uh, and killed one hundred and eighty-five of the soldiers in that army. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. When Sennacherib woke up the next morning uh, and those that survived with him uh, and they looked around their camp, uh, that mighty army that they brought uh, to invade the city of God, uh, that mighty army that they brought uh, to tear down the house of God, uh, it was dead. It was decimated. They were greeted by a graveyard. All around them there lay dead bodies. Let me tell you what happened. Sennacherib packed up his army, what was left of his men, and he left Judah as fast as he could go. He would live to fight five more military campaigns before he was murdered by his own two sons. But never, ever, ever again would he set foot in Judah. Never, ever, ever again would he threaten the people of God. Never, ever, ever again would he stand against the house of the Lord. I come to tell somebody in this place tonight, the enemy may rise up against you. He may come in like a flood, but God's going to take care of you. God's going to take care of his people. The enemy will not enter this city. He's in control. You can trust him. You're not alone in this fight. You're not alone in this battle. So many people lose out with God because a spirit of loneliness, a, a spirit of solitude, uh, that idea that I've got to stand, uh, amen, on my own strength and, and nobody really cares about me. And I want you to know uh, this is God's house. Uh, this is God's people. Uh, and everybody here stands together. Uh, and everybody here fights together. And there's nobody in this house that stands alone. Uh, this is the city of the Lord and the enemy will not enter this city. The year was 1347. The Black Death swept out of China and spread across the entire world. It was a pandemic that killed one quarter of the population of Europe. And then it faded away. In 1527, the plague reemerged in Germany and began to spread again throughout the land. It was the second pandemic of the bubonic plague. And as it began to advance through Germany, there was a little town called Wittenberg. And in Wittenberg, Martin Luther was the pastor of a group of people. And there was a mass exodus of people fleeing Wittenberg, trying to get out before the plague got there. And Martin Luther, just like everyone else, pondered his choices, tried to weigh the options. Should I go or should I stay? And like the old faithful shepherd, he decided that his duty as pastor was to stay with his flock and shepherd them through whatever came upon them. So Luther stayed in Wittenberg. And he volunteered to help the sick. And he, he volunteered to, to go and be a servant to those that were ill with the plague. And because of that decision, his son and his pregnant wife both contracted the bubonic plague. By the grace of God, they both survived but the lingering effects of that plague would kill his newborn daughter at the age of five months. And it was in those days, those dark and terrible days of the great plague, that Martin Luther penned his most famous hymn, 
a mighty fortress is our Lord. The hymn was based on the 46th Psalm. The interesting thing about the 46th Psalm is that it was written in response to the story I just told you tonight. It was a response to Sennacherib's letter written by the psalmist years later. I kind of think it was God's way of writing a letter back to the devil. It goes like this. God is our refuge and strength. A present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea and though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, there is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn, just when it seems like it's too late, just when it seems like the enemy has come in like a flood. God will help her. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice and the earth melted. Uh, the Lord of hosts uh, is with us. Uh, the God of Jacob uh, is our refuge. Uh, come uh, and behold uh, the works uh, of our Lord uh, who has made the desolations in the earth. Uh, he makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bows. He cuts the spears in two. He burns the chariots in fire. Be still and know that I am God. And I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Would you stand with me? I feel such an anointing of the Holy Ghost. I don't know who I'm preaching to right now, but there's somebody in the sound of my voice that what I'm saying is connecting with your spirit. I come to tell somebody in this place, God's got this. You can count on him. You can depend on him. He is your refuge and your strength. He is your help in times of trouble. It's time to stand up to the devil and declare, we're not afraid. We won't be terrorized anymore. We're not going to yield to you any longer. You will not enter this city. Go ahead and write all the letters you want to write, devil. But God's in charge. He's going to put a ring in your lips uh, and lead you wherever he wants you to go. Uh, amen. You may think you're in charge. Uh, you may think you've got a plan. Uh, you may think that you control things, uh, but what you don't understand uh, is that you dance to the tune uh, that the master plays. Uh, amen. He's got full charge of you. Uh, he's got full control of you. You ever been walking through the neighborhood when all of a sudden you hear that menacing sound, the growl of a rabid dog as he comes charging across the yard barking? You ever felt that moment of intense fear when you just know this is, this is it? I'm about to be bitten. Brother Kate, I'm about to have to pull my gun and shoot a dog. You ever been there? And then that old beast hits the end of that chain and he comes up short. And all of a sudden you realize, Brother Donnie, he can't touch me. You know, you go from being afraid to being rather cocky. You know, you go from being scared to death to dancing a little jig. Say, uh-huh, boy, come get me. Go ahead. Hey, hey, come on, come on, give it your best shot. I feel like that's the way the devil is right now. He's been charging at somebody. He's been bearing down on somebody. He, he's, got, he's breathing death and threats and condemnation. Uh, he's going to destroy you. But you, what you need to understand is God's got him on a chain. 
I said, God's drawn a line and said, this is as far as you can go, buddy. You make all the threats you want to make. You write all the letters you want to write. But you're not entering this house. You're not even going to fire an arrow into this city. You'll never lift up your shield against this place. I'm not trying to tell you you're fighting a powerless enemy because I understand that the devil is real. But what I am telling is you're fighting a limited enemy. You're fighting an enemy that doesn't get to do whatever he wants to do, but he has to march into the presence of God and ask the permission of God before he even torments you. Somebody in this place, you need to realize, if God be for me, God love If God be for me, there is none that can stand against me. These altars are open. Somebody needs to bring your letter. Somebody needs to bring the offenses. Somebody needs to bring the things that worry you. Somebody needs to bring the threats that the enemy has been breathing against you. And you need to lay them out in the presence of God. And you need to tell the Lord, Lord, I recognize uh, this isn't just my problem. Uh, This is your problem too. Uh, I recognize uh, the enemy hasn't just come against me. Uh, He's come against me and you. Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, come on, somebody call out to him right now. Come on, he wants to give you victory right now. He wants to restore some things in your life right now. He wants to refresh some things, make some things brand new. Amen. You've been operating under the shadow of your past. Uh, you've been operating under the, the shadow of the threats of the, of the enemy that has sought to destroy you. But God's getting ready to do a work in your life. Uh, God's getting ready to raise you up. Uh, God's getting ready to draw a line and say, that's as far as you can come, old boy. You done barked your last bark. You done growled your last growl. Come on, somebody call out to the Lord. Come on, somebody call on his name. This is his city. This is his house. This is his people. This is his place. The enemy's not going to enter this house. The enemy's becoming some dad. You need to declare it over your family right now. The enemy's not going to enter my house. He's not going to enter my family. He's not going to enter my place of refuge. Amen. I'm drawing the line.